Bonjour, hi, I'm Pascal Auclair. I hope this talk supports you in your practice. J'espère que cet enseignement vous sera aidant. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button underneath my picture on Dharma Seed. Vous pouvez me soutenir en cliquant sur le bouton sous ma photo. Your support is greatly appreciated. Merci. Okay, so we'll see how the microphone moving will, uh, how this will be. But, uh, it might be a little uh, unpleasant feeling tone <laughs> here and there as we pass on the microphone, and we'll, we'll try to see if that works for, for all of us. So there, there were several questions, a lot of questions, and they go in all kinds of uh, directions, uh, things that are uh, Im- important to you and r- rich questions. We might not be able to touch on every one of them, but we'll certainly try. Um, one of them is about uh, practicing in Nepal, and uh, uh, you'll talk about this a little bit uh, tomorrow, Roxanne. Huh? Et voilà. One <laughs> <laughs> <What> done. <laughs> 40, uh, 43 to go. <laughs> Maybe I'll answer a couple, and then uh, we'll... (laughs) Because of the... Yeah. Would you please repeat the Buddha's analogies uh, regarding body sensation, foam, things like this, that I used uh, today? So that's very classic teaching. I bring it with me at almost every retreat. Um, So it's images that seem to be um, talking about the ephemerality of of experience, And so the Buddha compared uh, the body to foam, foam that changes on the side, by the side of the ocean. He compared uh, the feeling tones, pleasure, displeasure, as bubbles that burst pretty quickly. Um, he compared uh, our thoughts, emotions, responses to what's happening uh, to uh, the banana tree trunk. So it seems like, oh, my emotion and my intention to respond like this to the stimulation and all this. And when we look closely at this, we'll notice something ephemeral, an ephemeral emotion, intention, thoughts, story told. (coughs) And then uh, for perceptions, how things appear to us, I appear separate from others. Uh, I appear as having uh, value or no value or things like this mirage-like nature of perceptions. Uh, And so we're invited to become aware of this. And then the last one in this uh, series of images is the magic show. And so the Buddha seemed to be comparing uh, consciousness, the knowing, what we often uh, talk about as the observer or the witness, as a, as a magic show, knowing, taken personally, the magic show of me. It's me being aware. And the more we uh, pay attention, we might discover that uh, it was a mirage-like, it appeared like this, perce- it was perceived like this. And, uh, and uh, make, bringing some fluidity in there will... Uh, will um, I have a taste of freedom, you know, that I uh, will lessen the fear of what's going to happen to moi, you know. Uh, et voilà. I wonder if there's a way to mute it for a second. Mm. Okay. I think, uh, yeah. How can compassion be brought to the felt sense when it gets stuck in intellect or headspace? Um, earlier, we were in the room with the basket and one by one reading the questions and a lot of words, and then the, the three of us kind of, uh, you know, dropping a few thoughts and my mind went completely blank. Just 
this is just a lot of words floating by, and there's, I have no responses here. Uh, I just kind of just whooshed. And um, so, sitting here just now, feeling the heart racing, wanting to have something of value to say, something of service, and just feeling that and saying, oh, sweetheart, (laughs) oh, honey, it's okay. (laughs) You can just trust in that triple gem that Roxanne beautifully taught, the Buddha, the Dhamma, the Sangha, and um, so that's just a real moment example of mm, connecting compassion into this felt sense. It's, I'm not, sh- do, I'm not sure how, exactly how to interpret the question, so I apologize if, I'm, if there's a different intention, because this can also refer to compassion. Um, it's sometimes called compassion fatigue. In, in, in terms of our world and the, in relation to the suffering we see, so overwhelmingly and abundantly and all around that sometimes we can feel um, stuck in the intellect or headspace with it that, yes, I know, <laughs> yes, I know, you know, that knowing, yes, I know, there's so much suffering, and, um, which compassion is the response to suffering, and it, it just feels very intellectual and there's kind of a disconnect or can be a numbness with it. Um, and mm, I, for me, I find it helpful to remember that karuna, compassion, as we've been talking about and practicing here, is not something that burns out. Has, there's this much, I have this much, is gone. It's um, and so if I feel that kind of disconnect into the headspace, then I know, oh, something's needed here. <laughs> Am I taking care of this being that's trying to care for so much of the world? You know, what's needed? Do I need to do some more caretaking of this being so I can continue being really? heart connected, not intellectually connected with the suffering of the world. Do another one? To what extent can meditation expand the sixth sense, bracket mind, dot, 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 intuition, dot, 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 bracket, question mark, (laughs) the sixth sense, referring particularly uh, to intuition, 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 To what extent, uh, completely, is that a fair answer? Uh, Can meditation expand this? Yes. This is uh, so much what we're doing. Awakening to this third way of knowing. Remember, the thinking, the reflecting, and the insight. This intuitive knowing of the nature of things, the intuitive knowing of how things are. Sixth sense, if you like. And um, intuitive knowing of the nature of things, meaning the three characteristics that have been spoken about. The changing nature of phenomenon, and thus, its unreliability can't be clung to, taken up as a solid, permanent thing I can keep or get rid of. And the conditioned 
nature of all of these arisings and passings that we've been present with, practicing with, aware of. Um, So these insights in particular are what we're developing. Sixth Sense, someone should make a movie about that. If life is like a lava lamp, is there free will or choice? So, we sometimes hear, we talk about Buddhism as um, the middle path. And it's the middle path between extremes in many different ways. But one of the ways that this practice is a middle path between extremes It's a middle path between the extreme view of free will and the extreme view of, um, um, what is it called, predetermination. And so right in the middle there is uh, what we would call conditionality, that things happen when the conditions are right. And so in this question, is there free will or choice? Um, one of the ways to think about this, certainly for me, is that uh, it's not so much a me that is going to decide of anything, but certainly a mind state. And if greed is in control, or reactivity, or habits, this is what is going to make the choices. But if the mind is trained to uh, make space for wisdom compassion, patience, honesty, courage, etc. Who do you think will make the choices and act and speak? So it's in this way that uh, we talk also about not-self. There's several questions here about this. So it's not absolutely free will, because if it was free will, we would all have had a really calm mind the whole week. (laughs) It's not exactly like this. And we can see also that it was not just absolute havoc. There was an in-between, you know? There was a training. There was a, we were conditioning things. We are here. The whole setup is to condition a calm, clear seeing. And so we say, let's slow down. Let's not be so social. And so we're going to create the conditions for clear seeing, for, uh, for resonance, instead of having our ideas about stuff, we're going to feel them. And so the, so it's not free will, and there is choice. And one way to talk about this also is that being attentive opens up little spaces of choice. Instead of being habitual, by being attentive, I can say, oh, usually I would shut down, but maybe I can stay tuned in. Usually I would attack, but maybe I can wait a few seconds, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and as we saw this week, it was not so free will-ish in this way. Huh? So the, the choices were there sometimes and sometimes not. So I don't know if you can see this. So that's what we call the middle path. And um, in terms of not-self, uh, I can pick almost any question, <laughs> it seems. Well, apparently not. (laughs) (laughs) There's a group of questions I thought I could recognize. Well, anyway, I'll, I'll, yeah, so that's a part of an answer. And let's try this one here, see what, what comes here. Things being in constant change can feel very insecure and vulnerable. Uh, as vulnerable humans, it's nice to think that there is uh, there is something that never changes. Does that exist? And so, yeah, we haven't talked about this for some reason. It's called nirvana, nibbana. So, everything, that's the teaching. So, it's, it's very much information. And tonight, 
because of the nature of question and answer, maybe we'll see. But so it says that all phenomena have in common to be three things impermanent, um, unsatisfying because impermanent, and uh, not self. They don't belong to self also because impermanent. So all events of uh, our lives, all things, that's the suggestion. We have to go check it out. Impermanent, not completely satisfying, can't, and not completely uh, our self. Not one identity, thing you own, etc. Is and, uh, and what we call Nibbana would be um, permanent, satisfying, but still not self. It doesn't belong to somebody. Like we say, uh, there is Nibbana, but no one enters it. It says actually in this teaching, there is suffering, but no one who suffers. There is nirvana, but no one who enters it. There is suffering, but no one who suffers. It's a really deep kind of uh, teaching. So is there something that doesn't change? Um, apparently, yes, but... The idea here, we're so experiential, we want to experience it, <laughs> not so much talk about it as touch it. Uh. That's the other Nibbana question. I was going to say what he said. <laughs> <laughs> Is there an exception to impermanence? Uh, and somebody says love, perhaps. And so, what is Nibbana? That's for us to find out. Is it uh, is it a s- is it? It's sometimes it's described as um, uh, ceaselessly responsive, some, some ceaselessly responsive mind that is uh, uh, shining and responsive. So I wouldn't be surprised that it would have a quality of uh, love in it. I wouldn't be surprised at all. But I want to go and check it out for my non-self. <laughs> <laughs> What is the difference between loving kindness and compassion? These are these are both um, both of these are attitudes, practices, and actions ways to be in our world. And we've been talking a lot, practicing a lot this week with the, the attitude of loving-kindness, of um, gentleness, friendliness, presence. And loving-kindness begins with this being, with this uh, invitation to be present and kind with how it is. You know, just as I described in the beginning, you know, feeling the heart racing and the wanting and the the nothing, (laughs) and uh, like, oh, honey. (laughs) Um, May you be May you be safe. May you be happy. May you be peaceful. And um, it's from this intimacy with this being, this untethering of the the knottedness, you know, this tanglement, that mm, that can then we can more clearly see others and have that same heart connection through different groups of people. And it's very similar, but uh, the distinction is interesting, I think, with compassion. Um, 
compassion is clearly, more clearly, a response to suffering. It's an action. It's also a practice that we cultivate this um, intention and heart awareness and embodiment. It's an attitude, but it's primarily a, a, a connection to suffering. We see that um, we naturally respond. We, you know, people have um, been feeling this with every time we open a door and the bird flies off the nest. It's like, oh, oh we're, we're worried. We feel the, the heart connection to these little eggs, are they getting enough warm time uh, with their whichever parent is on there um, that's like a natural response that we cultivate in our practice and, um, and then actions will arise of how, how, can, I, how can I show up what, what can I do so of course they're related and um, compassion also for this being. So loving kindness, compassion, similar, but the difference um, to my understanding is um, that response to suffering. And I think there was another question like that. Let me just see. Yeah, here's one. Um, can you discuss the relationship between compassion forgiveness and equanimity especially towards oneself primarily in dealing with shame yeah so this is that that quality of seeing the being up close with the suffering in within this being um the question is also asking about forgiveness. It says particularly um, towards oneself. So I'll answer it that way, although it, it may also be meaning forgiveness of others that, that may have caused harm. But I'll just keep it to what it says here. And I hope it's close. So there's uh, ways we can practice with this um, forgiveness, particularly, well, it can be done with regard to others. Um, it can be done with um, asking for forgiveness for ways I've harmed others. But in relation to this, harm I may have done to myself. Um, to find the words the phrases, the heart connection that, that resonate for you. Um, something like this. Aware of all the times I have turned away from or harmed myself because of fear, anger, or confusion. I offer forgiveness as much as possible in this moment for, for all the times I have turned away from myself understanding its conditioned arising from fear, anger, confusion I offer forgiveness as much as possible in this moment
So two related uh, questions here. What are the Buddha's uh, teachings around death? What happens? And you talk about all being ephemeral, including ourselves. Question, what about reincarnation? Did the Buddha address this topic? Or only his followers, the Buddhists, maybe the foolish Buddhist monks or wise lama? So, what happens? And what about reincarnation? So, um, so the distinction that I've been uh, taught is that, um, and that's interesting for me, this topic, because um, how I'm, what I'm noticing is that there's a certain um, kind of um, Western Buddhism or Occidental uh, uh, Buddhism that, um, that doesn't go in that area so much, is really interested in this life and how uh, the mind can be freed or there can be... A, more wisdom and, and compassion in this life. And so personally, I really rarely talk about uh, this topic. So maybe in other traditions here in the West, they do, but um, it's not the topic that I hear a lot of, uh, even by my teachers uh, on retreat. Um, this being said, in the Buddhism, I don't think there is reincarnation. There is, there is rebirth, though. And the distinction between reincarnation and rebirth would be that um, reincarnation would be the reincarnation of another self, kind of like another the soul, something permanent that would take a new incarnation, carne, meat, flesh, you know. So there would be a kind of a moi that would have a new body. Rebirth is a whole new thing. So I can't say that it's me again. The examples that uh, an example that is used is imagine there is a you have a candle with a flame on it, and you have another candle that is not uh, lit yet. And if you take the candle like this and you go like this, there's a flame. Can you say it's the same flame? No, it's it's, it's uh, anyway. It's a little, it's a little not clear here, you know. <laughs> <laughs> And so that's like, it's just an image, it's not the reality, we're not candles. <laughs> <laughs> I want to clarify that. <laughs> Elton John. And so, um, and so uh, the teaching, though, is really interesting. It says that, uh, it says that in this uh, being here, there's such a desire for existence. You know, notice if you have this, if you just want to be back home, or not leave here ever. <laughs> this is a wish for existence. You know, there's a, I want, the, I want to be seen like this, I want to make this, I want to feel this, I want to experience this, I want to get this. All this is really, really powerful in the human being. Uh, and that, uh, it says that this is so powerful that at the death of the body, this kind of neurosis, if you want to call it like this, would be so powerful that it would actually find a way to have another body. So when somebody asked, uh, was it uh, Trungpa Rinpoche, uh, back there at the Naropa Institute, or something like this, somebody asked, who is, what is being reincarnated, or who is being reincarnated? And his answer is, your neurosis. <laughs> <laughs> You know, so it's what's not been, uh, so it's that desire, that still that wish for satisfaction in reality. Like, I am going to get things stable, comfortable, satisfying, permanent, mine, uh, you know. Do, do you see this a little bit in your, just you, when you think, like, when I get this next thing, you know, this next situation will be fine, you know. And so, by bringing a very closer look to reality here, we, it's very sobering. We see the instability of reality, and uh, it could easily lead to cynicism or depression. But well done, it s leads to the opening of the heart. And so, then there's not the desire to get so much, and there's not also the hate for life. It's just, this is how it is right now. We need to take really good care of it. And, 
that uh, yeah so that's how it's presented that uh, there's rebirth when there is a strong such a desire to exist that it will create another situation at uh, death to make sure it continues it's fascination for existence seeing if I can kind of group some of these together. Maybe. Okay. Uh, If possible, indeed, (laughs) can you talk a bit more about the second arrow? I think that's a bit loud. This is the first time I've heard the term. Um, yeah, so that was kind of dropped in a few times here and there, probably this week, this reference to a second arrow. So thank you for asking. Our apologies for not making it clear at the time. The, in the suttas, the first arrow refers to being pierced by an arrow, being shot with an arrow. And the arrow represents what's called dukkha in Pali. And the definition of dukkha has been um, referred to. Um, You may be familiar in hearing it now, aging, sickness, and death. Our dukkha, um, not getting what I want, what one wants, is dukkha. Not being able to get rid of what I don't want is dukkha. This being affected by clinging is dukkha. There's the clue. This being affected by clinging is dukkha. So the clinging is the second arrow. The second arrow is something we've referred to also. Um, what's the relationship to what's showing up? What's the, we've, we've been inquiring, oh, this is here. It's like this, hmm, unpleasant Vedana. Uh, what's the relationship with it? Get rid of it, please. <laughs> Make it stop. Um, is usually or often the the, um, unaware relationship to it and that's like being pierced by the second arrow the first arrow are things out of our control often that that we 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 can't do anything about our dear ones die we die age etc but it's our relationship with all of these arisings and conditions that is the second arrow that um, we're learning is there's is not um, it's a, it's there's more options available with the second arrow <laughs> let's just give it that and um, I think related okay Please explain delusion slash ignorance and how to work with it. By definition, doesn't it mean that we don't know, that we're not aware when we're in it, right? How am I supposed to work with it? If I'm deluded, I'm deluded. (laughs) 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 Yeah. Totally. (laughs) Okay, so... We show up. How did we know? We didn't know. We were just too busy and we came. We were like, I think I should go on a retreat. I don't know, meditation, or I do know, meditation. And uh, we come. And we we go through, I won't go over all that we've, you know, our process that we've gone through this week, because you're very aware of, of what 
the work that you've done, the practice that you've done, the heart that you've brought. And um, this has conditioned some knowing. Mm, some knowing, oh, I was just deluded a moment ago. What's happening? Oh, yeah, I'm sitting here. There's breath happening. I was just away and wanting and not wanting, and we can see it, and we can begin again. Yes, and, and often we don't know, of course, when we're in it. But with um, practice, we keep practicing, we keep showing up and growing this relationship with life unfolding. We maybe have a teacher, have support, guidance, have a sangha, have a community, reflections. Remember these three ways of knowing. Um, and sometimes, sometimes awakening happens. There's another saying that's common about sometimes blank happens, but uh, sometimes also awakening happens. When we are in these containers, like, uh, yeah, I, I, time-wise, I don't have time to go into it, I think, but uh, keep showing up. <laughs> I think this is related. Maybe I can just slide it in, yeah? I think it is. Uh, I've been able to witness on this retreat the conditionality of knowing, that knowing only occurs if my attention is there. Can you say more about this? It feels important, but I'm not sure what to do with this. The conditionality of knowing. Knowing only occurs if my attention is there. Uh, yeah, remember we did that. Pascal guided a thing, I, Jill Davy, am sitting here meditating, and then we dropped, I'm, I'm sitting here meditating, and Jill Davy, and I am, and then drop. And uh, so here we could just drop my attention. Knowing only occurs when attention is present, when awareness is present. So it's not... Um, We, we do condition that arriving, but it's by paying attention. The first night I was talking about that liminal space of not knowing, and what is it to inquire into this different way of knowing. By, by inquiring, by going, oh, what is this? What's showing up? What's here now? in this uh, being held in this space of kindness and embodiment and present inquiring. Um, yes, so knowing is, is conditioned and <coughs> yeah. I think uh, that's all I can say. It may be getting fuzzy. <laughs> did that get fuzzy? I think it did. <laughs> yeah, it did. Okay. Fuzzy happens. <laughs> yeah. Not my fuzzy, you remember? No. No. <laughs> so how are we? What is the non-self? What is it in relationship to the self? <laughs> Beautiful, deep questions. Um, so, in the teachings, we talk about two realities. Conventional reality and absolute reality. They are happening at the same time. There are just different ways to look at what's happening. <coughs> Conventional reality, absolute reality. So, if you think of... Um, in Montreal, I have a bicycle. In conventional reality, it's my bicycle. Huh? So, we 
agree to this, it's my bike. I go back home, I take my bike, I go there, I'm not hurting anyone by using my bicycle. But when I go back tomorrow evening, as it happens regularly in Montreal, somebody's showing me that it was just conventionally my bicycle. (laughs) It was not absolutely my bicycle. Because absolutely, I cannot own anything absolutely. I cannot own it relatively, uh, temporarily, conventional. Convention is agreement, kind of the agreement. And so the bicycle is mine conventionally. And so it's extremely important. And these are the two views. And if we're stuck in one of the two views, it's not really good. You know, if you're stuck, and as we are, many of us, more into the conventional reality, then we take things personal, and we're really, uh, when we lose things, things being anything, material or inside, you know, youth or health or anything, then we really get confused and uh, and uh, reactive and uh, despair comes and uh, disappointment and anger and God or others or self and it's really really painful because there's only one understanding of the conventional reality but here hopefully we gain a little bit of understanding of absolute reality so we can play in both worlds we can actually really take care of other people's cushion you know we don't just grab a cushion because we want one we we know we're really clear about conventional reality we respect it This is yours, this is mine, this is my body, this is your body. You know, I understand conventional reality. And I know that ultimately I cannot own anything. And so that's the relationship between the self and not-self. They're both true, depending on what level we're talking about. Wow. Wow. Much of this journey is within, inner, alone. Can you clarify alone, loneliness? So, so what I have to say about this is that um, when uh, mindfulness is strong in me, presence is uh, strong, and a factor of... um, you know, wise understanding, wisdom is there, and uh, all this. I don't have access to uh, loneliness because I'm not in a dual world where there's me and the rest of the world over there, and I'm alone in silence, isolated. It's not perceived like this. It's just, uh, it's not me and the birds out there. It's, uh, it's, uh, Bird being sound being heard, it, it's not located like a self and another thing. It's just nature happening, nature happening. And I think sometimes we might have this in nature, being in nature. We suddenly we don't feel separate. We feel kind of a part of. You know? In this practice, that's the one thing that I've uh, gift that I feel I've received is. Uh, that delusion that we were talking about, our ignorance. I used to be uh, confused. I thought I was separate from the world. And I still do a lot of the time, you know, feel that I'm separate. But with a calm, steady, uh, investigative mind that is really interested by the nature of reality, I'm finding out that this was a perception. It was a mirage, an illusion, an appearance. It appeared I was separate. Therefore, feeling separation, feeling uh, loneliness, feeling uh, fear about what's going to happen. If this is a little conscious thing that exists by itself in a vast universe, it's a really stressful situation to be in. You know, and things are pressing on us, time and people's demand and and all this. But uh, through this path and this path, what I've noticed that it's it's actually, it's... uh, it appears like this, and it can also disappear, that vision, and something else can appear. And then there is just, uh, you know, it's not my hands, it's tingling happening. 
you see that it's a, I think the language would be maybe non-dual. It's just tingling happening. It's not lonely. It's not. It's it's an event happening in nature. It belongs to nature. It's an. It's totally part of the matrix. This now is words. It's information. So it's very limited. Hearing this, some would say your brain will crack. You know, because it doesn't make sense in a way, or maybe it does in a, some intuitive way. Using the tool of uh, meditation, we can go and clarify that a perception is just a perception. It's not absolutely what it, it, it is. It appears like this. That's extremely liberating. After I might be caught again and be able to know, oh, it feels, it appears like I'm separate right now. But somehow I've been touched. I've seen through the veil a couple of times. And I know that it appears like this and it's stressful, but it's not absolutely true. So that's the best attempt I can, uh, you know, what I can do about this tonight in this form. How does love work? That's <laughs> <laughs> oh, a nice question. Um, I... I I totally dig that question because how many times have I been like, what is love? Love, what's love, you know? And it, I, I, I totally know that question. Well, I don't know what this person exactly means, but I, I think I, uh, I can relate to this in some way. And um, so I'll just speak personally that uh, for me, uh, there's a, a movie called Lady Bird, and um, this character who calls herself Lady Bird—is it Lady Bird something or Lady Bird? Just Lady Bird, I think. Anyways, awesome. and she's having a conversation with this uh, woman across the desk, and I think she's written something about. She's written. Uh, an essay or something. I think she's in school, and the the teacher says, "Wow, it seems like you you really love whatever the town's name is, something American in the movie." And um, the character Ladybird says something like, um, "No, I think I just like paying attention." And I was like. So good. It just, I it just resonated for me, and then I practiced with that for a while. You know, just walking down this a street, and you know, I could just be in habit mind and and going and head down and in my drama, and not seeing, connecting with beings around me and then I practiced just paying attention and I felt so much love for complete strangers strangers um, you know and I didn't need to stop and get all up in their business it was just like just just a, an awareness a seeing a knowing a, a heart compassion and it felt like love to me and then I look at that in you know some of my more intimate and ongoing relationships you know where we've made vows to keep loving and you know and these these things that um, that's also related to how much am I paying attention <laughs> yeah <laughs> you can ask them. Totally makes a difference, and it makes a difference with how much am I paying attention to this being? How much love there is available? So yeah, that's what that's what rolls for me right now. Anyways, yep. 
When does letting go become suppression or not dealing? How does one know the difference? We talked about this in one a small group. Good. Um, yeah. Letting go. Often when we talk about letting go, or very often it's someone else that tells us we should let go. Why don't you just let that go? <laughs> you know, you should let that go. Um, or, I should really let that go. i got to let that go, and why won't it go? And um, that's, like, that's, that's this feeling of let it go. Go! <laughs> it's pushing away. This should go. I want to let it go. And, um, yeah, that's not dealing. That's suppression. And we call it letting go. I'm trying to let go, but it won't let go. <laughs> and uh, for me, I've found it helpful to look at, not so much telling myself to let it go, but look at how am I actually holding on? In what ways am I holding on to this story? I keep going over it, repeating it, revising it, fixing it, making sure I come out looking shinier in the new version of this whatever happened or what I think might happen. And I keep going over it and over it and justifying why I'm right, obviously. And um, so this is me getting up in it and holding on to it. And then when I can see that, oh, I'm, I'm the one pasting this in, like, macro, uh, paper mache, um, papier mache. <laughs> um, and uh, I can see, oh, it's, what's, I'm keeping it sticking. When that's seen, known, letting go is possible in that moment. Of course, I can pick it up again and keep playing around with it if I choose, but that's it. That's a choice. Yeah. How long do you want to go? Do you want to do it? We have maybe a last one. Mm-hmm. About, uh, just about letting go, because I, I, I think it's uh, somewhat funny. There was a story I was... Um, hanging on to and couldn't let go of and I was obsessed about something that had happened, you know, and, and I was trying all kinds of ways to... Uh, but, I, you know, there was a, like this and uh, I saw Joseph, my teacher, and we were chatting, you know, and I said, oh, there's this thing going on and I'm like, I'm so charged about it, I don't know what to do about it and, you know, should I answer or not answer? And, like, I, I'm trying to... I'm stu- and uh, and he listened, he listened, and at the end he said, um, hmm, it seems like you're going to have to let go at some point. Do you prefer now or later? <laughs> <laughs> and, and there was such simplicity, and there was something that was pretty big for me. And at that moment, it was gone. Like it was, uh, <laughs> like he, like he showed me like clear seeing. You know, at some point you're going to have to let it go. Do you prefer later? <laughs> and then, whoops, suddenly it was, uh, and this story was not in my mind after. It was like uh, a non-event. You know. Yes. Anyway. So here, just not to avoid uh, questions about sex, oh. I'll, I'll f- finish with this, and also to me, you know. Some stimulation. (laughs) 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 To truly reach enlightenment, does one need to maintain celibacy? Is sexual desire a part of uh, a a part of greed, hatred, confusion, or maybe a part (laughs) of greed, hatred, confusion? So. uh, to truly reach enlightenment, does one need to uh, maintain celibacy? So because I'm, I haven't experienced full enlightenment, I don't know it's, uh, if it's uh, uh, something that one needs to maintain or not. So I don't know personally. And also the, the question itself saying uh, need to maintain celibacy, 
my sense is if um, on the path, you know, if if it sh- if it's um, kind of um, abandoned for enlightenment, I, I would I would think think it would not feel like I need to abandon it now for the next stage. You know, <laughs> like I would think it would fall away. So that's that was my thought when I read the question. You know. Um, In the practice here, in the, on the retreat here, we make this vow of celibacy. Right? So we, uh, we, uh, and um, I know in the teaching, the Buddha um, doesn't seem to, for lay people uh, uh, like us, doesn't seem to say that it's, uh, it's, uh, it needs to be, um, we need to be celibate. Um, and apparently, uh, many uh, lay people got enlightened. I don't know if they tell the story of if they were celibate in the last few weeks before enlightenment <laughs> 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 needed to be. Um, but uh, what I'll say about um, here is that um, we would not want the message to be that um, we need to be celibate. That's not, uh, that's not uh, uh, required for a lay person. Um, so it's tricky to... Uh, it could say like uh, that uh, sexual being a sexual being is is a one could understand that it's a bad thing and i, I don't think it's uh, it's um, uh, valid um, i'll be personal about this i've seen people uh, use as a path um, uh, celibacy use as a path uh, monogamy and use as a path uh, serial monogamy or uh, other forms of uh, being with uh, beings. And I've seen uh, people hide in celibacy, hide in monogamy, hide in uh, serial monogamy, in hide in uh, polyamory. Uh, and so to me it comes back to the quality we bring to what is happening certainly to a certain stage uh, you know up up to far on the on the on, in the practice my sense is and so um, sexuality i think uh, if one practices is a sexual being i think is an amazing place to bring uh, presence uh, honesty care metta um, compassion uh, in the sexual uh, sexual act, uh, some people and some of my teacher have described uh, a spiritual opening in the in the in the realm of the sexual or uh, the meeting with the being, where you know suddenly the sense of self falls in some way, you know, and 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 the, or the sense of time falls in some way, and so that that is possible in there. Uh, and I was hearing uh, one of the friends who uh, did the four-year teacher training with me. She now uh, teaches more in the realm of uh, relationship and sexuality. And I've heard her give a talk, and it was really beautiful how she uh, was talking about uh, the quality of presence uh, and how, for example, she was saying, like, I used uh, being sexual. I'm talking about the act of being sexual, and I know sexuality is much broader than this. It's identity, it's birth, it's death, it's uh, um, you know, it's it's very very wide. But uh, she was uh, talking about uh, being sexual, the act of uh, being sexual, and she was saying, I used to think, what, how should I be, and I, how do I look, and what do, I, you know? And she said I was totally in my head and couldn't actually touch, uh, be in connection with what was happening. With the other one, there was no availability, with no, uh, and so bringing uh, practice in that field was really, really rich and uh, uh, tender. Uh, for me, sexuality is uh, related a lot to death and disease because I'm HIV positive, and so it has a it has a charge. It has a, it's a very potent. I want to go there with a lot of um, of care and. Uh, uh, to me, that's a whole field of awakening, and um, I'm not a woman, but uh, um, sexuality uh, seem, it comes with uh, being pregnant and birth, and it comes with uh, play of power and dominance, 
and uh, it plays with our whole life is there in the sexual realm you know that we're sexual or not I think we're sexual beings um, and I think it's a very 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 rich field where I would want to bring a lot of curiosity a lot of awareness a lot of self-respect a lot of uh, considering of the other uh, etc uh, so And the last question here was, um, please speak about how dharma may be misused to maintain greed uh, and existing power imbalances through inaction, passivity, and focusing on the reduction of suffering for self at the expense uh, of others. That's a very wide, uh, large, deep question. But I wanted to tie it in because, um, you know, when, uh, for example... uh, um, The, you know, I read just power balance and uh, and the misuse of greed, and I was thinking, you know, in relationship with a teacher, there's a power imbalance. Uh, you know, like now, everybody's many people are looking this way, you know, to the two of us, and so there's a there's a power uh, thing that is happening. So it's very very delicate, and being humans. Uh, is really part of the deal, so we're going to do this uh, more or less well, you know. And uh, we've seen in some communities where uh, a teacher, uh, often it will be a male, uh, hasn't done their work of bringing awareness to the field of sexuality or power. And uh, there will be uh, abuse in this way, and a lot of harm is caused by uh, not having been... uh, Uh, you know, uh, aware, honest, uh, uh, etc. And communities uh, have a way to actually, um, a way to uh, protect power and uh, in all kinds of ways. And uh, so, um, so that's one answer. It might not be what you were asking for. And I'll give you a, just another example. As I was speaking to a a Dharma friend who was, um, took, after many years of practice, realized that he was misusing his practice. It took many years. And um, what he was doing is uh, he was uh, uh, suppressing his uh, emotion, anger and uh, all this, because, you know, the silence, the still body, the kind of kindness, emphasis on kindness, all this was... Um, was misused, and uh, it took a lot of time to say, oh, actually, I'm shutting down a lot of my emotion, I'm just like kind and quiet and uh, like this, and it's not it's not um, uh, honoring what is uh, alive in there. And so uh, that would be one, uh, one use of uh, misuse of, uh, of practice. And I'll finish with saying that uh, in the teachings, All the things that we've been uh, getting interested in, breath, body, emotion, thoughts, perceptions, uh, moods, etc., for each one of these things in his teaching, the Buddha says, be aware of this internally, externally. Be aware of your, your bo- the body internally, externally. Be aware of uh, emotions, uh, mind states, internally, externally. One interpretation of this that I find uh, very wise is be aware of uh, your body and the body of the other be aware of the emotions that are here and there also as we're about to go back to our lives that's extremely important because the misused was, would be I'm so mindful and you're so not right now <laughs> <laughs> you know where I would use mindfulness to uh, gain a sense of self you know, and to judge the other. That would be a misuse. So if I'm with somebody who's, uh, who uh, happens to be um, agitated in some way or reactive and I'm able to notice it, then how do I contribute? You know, and sometimes I can't because, you know, I don't have the inner resources. I'm uh, triggered myself and this and that. But uh, then it becomes really interesting practice. So for me, it's extremely interesting to be... Um, I want to be sensitive. That's why I come here. I want to be sensitive to uh, the beautiful qualities of being because I know that it's porous. 
if I'm uh, attuned enough to notice that somebody's patient right now or generous, I'm actually going to gain in generosity and patience. And if somebody's reactive and I'm able to bring uh, some stability of mind, I probably will be able to help diffuse some what is happening, you know. And this is very messy field. I won't claim success here. Uh, not even this week. But, uh, but uh, definitely worth um, bringing uh, attention so that uh, it's not like um, navel-gazing uh, what we're doing. You know, we're actually uh, uh, relational beings. We're living in a world. It's, you know, wider than relational, just uh, family members and colleagues. It's a big world, huh? And there's a lot to take care of. And so we want our mindfulness to uh, go in that field also of what's happening, uh, you know, in the social uh, different ways that we're together. Wow, we covered a lot of ground. <laughs> so if you have a headache, that would make sense. <laughs> So let's uh, maybe just uh, take a moment, just um, a minute here to, to feel what we feel. May this be uh, only the beginning of our exploration of reality and we, may we find uh, clarity in there and may, the, may there be true heart's release. May uh, love be uh, freed and compassion and care. And I'll read uh, one of the last notes that we discovered in the basket here which said uh, everything begins and ends at exactly the right time. Thank you for your patience and uh, consideration. We'll uh, take a 20-minute break and come together for the last uh, sitting and chanting of the, the last evening's sitting of the retreat. Okay, thank you. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.